This is the Bonsai Wire. <laughs> Eric's laughing at me. That's a good start right there. This is the Bonsai Wire podcast. Um, I'm your host, Andrew Robson. I'm with my co-host, Jonas Dupuy, and today we have our friend Eric Schrader on the podcast. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. What's it like planning a big show? Like, <laughs> like first of all, why'd you do this? What, 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 what's the reason for the expo? Why put on an expo? Eric, why are we putting on this show? Why are we doing this to ourselves? That's a great question, because I, I want to <laughs> say it was your idea, and... <laughs> <laughs> it's just really, it's really ballooned into this giant sort of process and all of these incredibly meticulous details. I mean, just fielding questions from people that are planning to attend as vendors or planning to attend as exhibitors or planning to just attend as a, as a visitor. It's, it's, that's a part-time yeah. job. Yeah. We did not assign a resource to answer questions for this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but part of the part of the problem with answering questions is, I mean, the questions are great because they make us think about things that we hadn't thought about or that we hadn't gotten to maybe and prioritize them. And so I think, you know, keep them coming. Yeah, exactly. We like the questions. It's just that sometimes the answer hasn't been determined yet. And so we can't just readily answer it. Right. Some things are in our control. Some things are out of our control. And some things we actually only hesitate because we think, oh, that was such a good question. Many, many people share that question. How can we share the, the answer to that question, you know, in a, to a broader audience? Yeah. And it must be hard because this is the first one. And does that really compound the problem <laughs> that you guys are having? Oh, yeah. I think I want to, I'm hopeful that at least half of what we're doing, we will not have to redo. So, I mean, from the the scoring mechanism to the explorations of various business pieces that we never really wanted to get into all of these things once you've done them once i think get a lot easier yeah so some assets we have in place we don't need to write new text for mass emails again we have that we have basic contracts we know what terms to look for we know what questions to ask the venue so we're in a really great spot for other ones but i'm still thinking you asked us why do this in the first place <laughs> I mean, I, I think that we envisioned having an open show that brings together people regionally, if not nationally, uh, to, to show really high level bonsai and to, to compete with each other because that's what really sparks people's imaginations, whether you're 20 years, 30 years into doing bonsai or whether you're, you know, 30 days into doing bonsai. So, I, I mean, I have students come by and I, I try to impress on them, you know, you can make a really good tree from this. And, and if you can't show people what the highest level of something is, then they don't even know how high that they can sort of shoot, uh, it, you know, for what they're trying to do. And so I think having a show like this where every tree in the room is really top quality gives people that sort of extra push that really makes them lets them strive for uh, building a better collection or finding better material or whatever part of the process they're in. And they provide object lessons for how we can help them get to that point. And so there are no qualifications for participating in this exhibit. If you've got the tree that reflects the time, the love and the care that goes into it, then those trees will be good contenders for the exhibit. How did you go about finding trees? There's a lot of good trees out there in the U.S., but how, how did you get them to come to the expo? Under cover of darkness. Yeah. 
That's actually a good question. We put a lot of effort into reaching out to people who we know have good collections and to reach out to people in the community so they could reach out to their local communities. And just we really just talked to as many people as we could over a period of, gosh, I was going to say months, but it might be more than a year. We were reaching yeah, out to, yeah. to friends, acquaintances, and passers-by to... Uh, to drum up interest in, hey, we know you've got a great X, Y, or Z. What do you think about coming to a show next fall? And I think Jonas and I both go, like, I mean, I traveled in the spring to Portland to visit you and to visit uh, Carmen and Michael's garden. And I went up to Mirai and I spoke to a lot of people that are deep into bonsai and on that trip, including now as well. Uh, looking for people to enter trees, just encouraging participation because sometimes just getting through all the noise, the regular day-to-day noise in people's lives, like, oh yeah, I just got 15 text messages. I wonder what that's all about. But like actually walking up to someone and saying, hey, we're putting on a bonsai show and would you be interested in submitting a tree? It just cuts through all of that. And I think Jonas has been doing the same thing with clubs here in the Bay Area for at least a year now. Yeah, a couple of years. So there was quite a bit of recruiting that kind of happened to get the trees There's here. There's a lot of recruiting. And so I'll ask you, Eric, how many times did you hear people say, oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> like a lot of people, quote, heard about the show, but that's about all they knew about it. And I'm still getting people saying that. Well, I mean, I think we were trying to be as encouraging as possible. Uh, like one of the original FAQs or something that we did basically said, don't assume that your tree is not good enough to be in the show just because this is a high level show because the show has to be a show. It's not just a bunch of junipers in a room. And, but, but yeah, a lot of people kind of have some sort of predisposition to think that they're not qualified to be in a show like this. And that is not true. Anyone can be in the show. You know, you don't have to have been doing bonsai for 20 years. You don't have to have been, you know, a professional. You don't have to, you know, belong to a club. You, you can just come out of nowhere. We might not have any idea who you are. And if you show up with a good tree, we are ecstatic. And to this day, we still don't know who several of the, uh, the exhibitors, we haven't met them personally. And so yeah. we, we don't know. There are some fully to us anyway, anonymous trees, which is fantastic. But I will say many submitters were, are in the first two or three years of their bonsai journey. And even some of the exhibitors are only about three, four years into their study of bonsai. So people can come in strong, like right off the bat. Because, I mean, as the three of us know, but other people maybe don't, there's all kinds of ways that you can go about creating a bonsai collection or doing bonsai at a high level. And if you come out of the gate and have some money that you want to spend and end up buying really good trees, you might be ahead of someone who's been trying to cultivate their own for 25 years and and just went about it a different way. So... I mean, there's so many of those kind of things. Like, I think one of the incredible things so far, and we haven't even had the show, is the number of kind of unexpected interactions that I've had with various people, both in the bonsai community and outside the bonsai, the core bonsai community, at least in the Bay Area, where all of a sudden I'm talking to someone who's like, oh, yeah, I've been doing bonsai for five years now. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've never, never met you. But, oh, that's a really cool tree. Yeah, when I mean, there's been a lot of that, where it's really exciting when you meet someone for the first time and um, they show off their tree. You know, actually, one of them that's going to be in the show, it's uh, someone I had dinner with at a bonsai convention at one point, and he pulled out his phone, and I just thought, 
holy smoke, these are fantastic trees. Who, wait, what, what's your name again? Like, can we hang out? Like, this is awesome. And that's the kind of thing that lead us to want to do this kind of event. Because when you have the people in the room who really care about it, you know, those are our best friends. Those are the people we want to hang out. And so in many ways, this whole event is providing the space for people to get together and share their enthusiasm for these trees. That's awesome. I, I can't wait to see the show. Um, now, for the selection process, you had a jury. You had like three of the top you know, bonsai evaluators in the country. You had Bjorn, uh, Ryan Neal, and, and uh, Bill Valvanis. What, what was that like to go through the jury process with them? We really left it to them. We set up an environment where they could select what trees they want on their own. So instead of having it be a group process where they could influence each other, we set up kind of three silos where we said, you are free to identify the trees that you think would make a good exhibit. We didn't say give us the best trees per se. We said, give us what you think would be the strongest show. So take into consideration quality, but also take into consideration variety. Give us different sizes, give us different species, give us different styles. And they gave us an even more broad look at the uh, their selections than we would have expected going into it. Yeah, I think that it's it was a little bit surprising when the results came in for each individual uh, juror, and it was the aggregate that actually made a really good show because where you had one person selecting a tree that was maybe a little bit off the off the beaten path, either you know a different species or uh, you know something that didn't quite have the work, but that particular juror saw something in it that they really liked. The other two would kind of maybe correct that a little bit. And, and so the result of having three jurors ended up being really good. I think it's, I mean, off, off the record earlier, we were talking about what would be the, the jury process for the, for the next iteration of, for the 2024 Pacific Bonsai Expo. And I think that's an interesting question. Like, what did we learn from this jury process that we can apply to the next one? That's right. Now, do you think we ended up with a more conservative selection? You mentioned we had these right field selections by some of the jury members. Do you think it made the show stronger and or more conservative and or how would you characterize the selections? Well, I think stronger and more conservative are both potentially ways that you could describe it. I mean, Sometimes if you have an unusual species that is not well represented in a lot of bonsai shows and you see a specimen of it and you think, well, I don't really have much to compare this to, but I'd really like to see the tree in person. So I, as a juror, I would put this into the show, you know, but other people's interpretations of that are different, which is exactly what we saw. Um, it's, it makes a stronger show in the sense that it's more mainstream, but it, it, it kind of, I think we ended up with an interpretation or a group of trees that is more along the traditional Japanese forms of, you know, quality than it would have been if we had only used one juror, for example. And I don't, yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't know that I'd even say that it ended up more Japanese following, but what I'll say is that all the trees that were chosen were highly ranked by all of, not maybe not highly ranked, but were definitely selected by all of the jurors. It wasn't that any one person trumped the other two in any cases, as there had to be support from the jury kind of at large. It may not have been their top choices, but we felt that we did a really good job of putting together what they as a group thought would be good representatives 
um, trees for the exhibit. That's neat. So pivoting from the, the trees, which we've talked about a lot, to the actual venue, how, how did you go about choosing a venue for, for the exhibit? Because the venue for the expo is unlike a lot of venues that we see for bonsai shows around the country. We got a hot tip from a friend of ours and we checked it out and we're really happy. But we've been, you know, we've been involved in putting on a variety of bonsai events through different clubs around the Bay Area. So at least I've been paying very close attention to bonsai venues for 25 years, pretty much. And so we had some idea. And when we got really serious about planning the event, we really started asking for quotes. Okay, how many square feet is this? How much parking is there? What's the light going to be like? And so there's only so many places that are within the stratosphere of what we can afford in the San Francisco Bay Area and that are convenient enough to where so many of the people are going to be coming from. And so that gave us a short list right off the bat. I'm going to branch off here in a little bit because I think one of the things to think about is like, so here in the East Bay or in the Bay Area at, at, in general, Many, many shows happen at the Lakeside Garden Center in Oakland. And it is a really, it's a good building for a bonsai show. There's a lot of windows. But one of the things that a lot of the clubs, if not all of the clubs do, is the the one of the main rooms has a bank floor to ceiling of south-facing windows. So if it's at all sunny or even like a bright overcast, the curtains for this giant bank of windows are almost always closed for a bonsai show. So you walk in out of say full sun into a hallway and then you go into the exhibit room and the exhibit room is all artificial light and they've closed off this natural light that would be coming into the exhibit. And I think people have given me various reasons for why they wanted this to actually be this way. Like, and I would actually sort of sneak over and, part the curtain so a little bit of natural light was coming in and think to myself like oh that's much better and then someone would be like what are you doing why are you opening those curtains and I I was just like well it's better light and they're like yeah but then it causes a shadow on the backdrop and and I causes a shadow on the backdrop when your tree's right next to the parted curtain you're staring at the sun to look at your tree and yeah if that wasn't your tree you really don't want that curtain open near your tree so so I think like this venue is you chose a venue with a lot of light. I know. Uh, well, so. I mean, that was one of the things that I really like about it. But it's not just—it's not just direct south-facing window light. There's, you know, there's light coming in kind of in all directions. So I think it'll be more balanced than that particular situation in terms of in terms of the. Oh, it's like staring at a solar flare at Lake Merritt. Yeah, when the curtains are open. Right. So we have light coming in from above. We have light coming in from the north bank of windows and the east side of the building as well as the south side. And actually, the building is really well designed if you think about it because the windows on the south side are the smallest. And and the windows in the ceiling, which is what makes the sawtooth shape, are east-facing so that the intense afternoon light is cut and diffused more than it is uh, the softer morning light. So I think those were some of the... I mean, I could probably talk about this for too long but basically i found it really interesting the the play of the light in the building and how i felt that that would make for a much better bonsai show than than under artificial light something that i i really appreciate about the venue that you guys chose was that the fact that the venue is kind of a artifact in itself it's it's a historical building there's patina on the building that the age and the character of the building even though it's kind of more industrial 
has similar aesthetic kind of feeling to a lot of the trees that are going to show up. And I, I like that it's not just at a hotel, not just at a stadium. You know, it's it's at not a convention center. It's at an actual interesting venue. That was a big plus for us because we like the character of the building. And having been to plenty of bonsai shows around the world in convention centers and hotel ballrooms, it's really nice to be able to actually be able to look up and have something to look at to appreciate how the building's designed to have that aging character. You just get a lot of artifacts that you wouldn't get in a modern building the same. You know, the other interesting thing about the venue that you chose and the location more specifically is I I think bonsai are more relevant Bonsai are more relevant when they're in a very urban industrial area. That is Rather, so true. If, if you chose a hotel that was an hour outside the bay, you know, and there's lots of trees out there, it, it doesn't feel as necessary as that when they're surrounded by shipping containers and you have all of these ancient trees. They feel a lot more relevant and important when they're surrounded by not nature. Yeah, talk about a landscape that needs an injection of some plant life. Yeah, this yeah, is one I, of them. I, I love industrial landscapes. I don't necessarily, you know, want to hang out down by the shipping containers, but I think that there's like a, there's like a, there's something beautiful about industrial landscapes. And I think actually mm-hmm. when you, when you get to the, the corner of Burma road, uh, as you're going to the venue, there's literally a stack of shipping containers on that corner. And on the other corner is like a, a logistics company with, with pods stacked up. So there's actually two, there's two stacks of shipping containers, but I mean, you're right in the sense that if you take a bonsai tree and stick it out in the middle of a pasture with a bunch of cows, it doesn't really have very much effect. Whereas if you put it in something that's so contrasting in industrial kind of space, it, uh, it has a much greater effect. Yeah, it's 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 going to be really fun to see bonsai in that environment. It's I'm looking forward to it. Now, now the bonsai show weekend is it's it's a crazy weekend. Jonas and I just did a podcast about what to do in an exhibit, but it's not just an exhibit. There's I mean that's the main part of it, but there's a big huge vendor area. Talk a little bit about that. Who are some of the vendors that are going to be coming, and 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 what's that going to be like? Yeah, half the space is actually reserved for vendors, and we have kind of a hand-picked selection of vendors from you know up and down the West Coast, and it's going to be a selection of people with, um, heck, pre bonsai, developed bonsai, high-end show quality trees, containers, uh, both imported as well as handmade by. I think we have at least four potters will be here themselves selling their own wares. And then we're going to have plenty of supplies and other things people need to keep their collections going. Yeah, I don't think we're spilling the beans quite yet. Although maybe by the time this comes out, we will have the full list of vendors uh, up on the up on the website, along with profiles and whatnot. But you know, Jonas is absolutely right. I think we very carefully approached people who we wanted to see their vending, and we have a lot of respect for the vendors uh, that are going to be in the room and it's for a variety of reasons. I think, you know, some people have, you know, long-term bonsai businesses. Some people are fresh into it, but we really wanted to provide a mix of things that you could come in and purchase, not just, you know, not just see the show, but actually have the opportunity to buy trees. I mean, I personally will be selling a few trees that are not in the show, but that probably would have made it into the show if I had, if I had submitted them to the jury. So, um, we also went way out of our way to get vendors that don't appear here regularly. So we're lucky in the Bay Area that we have a couple of events, one every spring and one every fall, where we have lots and lots of vendors. And we wanted to go way out of our way to have vendors that aren't the normal people coming by. So 
we've got people flying in from the East Coast. We've got people driving down the coast. And so we're really trying hard to make sure that for the local people, there's going to be a lot of new faces that they don't often see. Yeah, that's great. And are you good, aside from the show um, and the vendors, you're going to have a few special exhibits as well. Are, are you able to talk about those yet? Or are they a little <laughs> bit of a, <laughs> a reveal for when we get there? Well, I think it's a little bit of a reveal. I think you know, what we've said a couple of times is that we are working on special exhibits. I just, um, you know, it's like, it's so funny to think about how complicated putting together a regular bonsai exhibit is. It, you, you know, you have a, in a six foot space and a medium tree and a small tree and an accent plant, but then you don't even realize, okay, I need a Jita and I need, you know, two bonsai stands that are the right heights so that I can have the two trees not be. So that same kind of process going into a non-traditional display and one of the displays which you know fingers crossed is still going to work out is going to be really big and that doesn't mean the tree is going to be really big like I, i'm not planning on forklifting plants into the building but we felt like uh, actually partly inspired by ofer i don't know how to pronounce his last yeah, name Grunwald. Grunwald. yeah uh, so i mean he's a really interesting artist who works with bonsai and he submitted a proposal to us early on but then uh some personal circumstances uh made it so he had to bow out so jonas and i kind of got together and said well what can we use to replace this and i i should say it was more more in my camp jonas, we asked the question yeah Eric answered the question i so i'm working really hard on it on a number of fronts and one of them is that i have to raise a fair amount of money in order to make this happen separately. So this is a separate fundraising effort because I'm involving a professional artist and that artist is going to be spending many, many, many hours doing uh, a, a meticulous Repetitive job, task. Doing a, a meticulous job putting together something that in its aggregate, I really hope will be stunning um, from and viewable from anywhere within the venue. That's really neat. You know, one of my favorite things when I go to a show is I, I want to see something that makes me think. And when you have some of these out of the box displays, I mean, a lot of the displays in the show are going to be fairly conventional, right? Yeah. When the pine goes next to the maple, we're not scratching our heads too hard. Yeah. Uh, but when you get something hanging off the ceiling or something that's just, you know, totally out there, it, it kind of, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it stimulates your thought. It's, it's like the vacuum in the Arzen's cup. You can say you love it, you hate it, but it, it makes you think about something. Yeah. And we have, Another uh, avant-garde exhibit that, you know, fingers crossed shows up is going to be brought in by the Aaron Packard, the curator of the Pacific Bonsai Museum. And uh, I, he and I have been working together closely to ensure that he has the space that he needs and everything he needs to set that up. But he's also going to be uh, collaborating with an artist in order to uh, get that get that display put together. So in each case of these two special exhibits that we're working on, they won't be part of the judged part of the exhibit so the exhibitors uh, will not be judging those they're not eligible for best in show or anything like that uh, they're just sort of i don't want to say just room decoration but in one way they are just room decoration they're bonsai inspired or bonsai focused art installations to complement the exhibit and they are meant to make you think that's that's good that's important we, we need more of that in the community um you talked a little bit about evaluation. Uh, these these unconventional things might not be scored. We might not even know how to score them. Uh, we barely know how to score regular trees, as the three of us have talked a lot about today. Um, how's the, how'd you come up with the evaluation process? So the exhibitors are the judges. Uh, 
And that's something that's never been done in a, a the, the major exhibits that we've had in the U.S. Not that I know of. And it, it kind of, when we proposed that or, you know, communicated that idea to Dan, who, Dan Yamins? Yamins. Yamins, uh, who will be helping us crunch the numbers. He had to think about it because there's some <laughs> sort of bias that you, you have to wonder, well, okay, if I get to score my own tree, then. Yeah. He know. said, I can deal with this number of judges. We can figure that out. We can figure this out. But each one of the judges actually has one or more items in the exhibit that they're judging. Yeah. Let me think about that. Yeah. So, I mean, the, it really comes, I mean, the idea really comes from the BIB exhibits that Bay Island bonsai exhibits that Jonas and I both participated in for many years. And as part of those exhibits, we were asked as club members to score based on a number of trees, you know, a selected number of trees from any category, each one of those trees and select the, the members choice awards for each category. And it was a complicated scoring process that we used involving, I think it was 30 points in total split up between the trunk and the branches and the pot and, and the roots and the overall and the overall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew the overall was in there somewhere. Uh, and so we're trying to kind of use that crowdsourcing of evaluation aspect in this same way, but we're also trying to simplify it. And so we've been testing out that approach. And so we actually had, about 300 people respond to a sample judging exercise just so we could learn a little more about how do people distribute scores on this scale and what just how do they use it and so people study this there are people who do surveys for a living there are people who do marketing for a living there are people that have answered a lot of these questions and we've actually reached out to a couple of them and we're getting some really good feedback from our sample exercises, we've identified a number of biases that can creep into this kind of scoring, and we've actually already made several updates just to overcome these biases. What are some of the biases? Well, one of them we noticed is if when people are scoring large lists of things, they tend to score the beginning different than the middle, different than the end. And so if everyone starts at tree one and finishes at tree 70, that actually can have a considerable effect on the scores. And so we're looking at doing a somewhat staggered start. So people are looking at the room in different, uh, from different beginning points. They're going to fall into whatever pattern they want and walk through the show as they will. But at least starting them in different points, we can make a big hedge against some of that um, latency, latency or recency where they, uh, or rotation bias, where they, um, the order in which they see things affects it. It, it almes comes down to decision fatigue I think like you that's part of it you're like okay I have 70 displays that I have to evaluate against each other and you know there are categories but in the end the raw score also informs the best in show so I have to actually think of these all relative to each other and so this showing display has to be evaluated on the same one to five point scale that this giant conifer is in is on and I might end up awarding best in show to the showing display or to the giant conifer based on just that one to five point scale. And I think part of Jonas's blog posts that he sent out and the exercise that he shared with everybody was meant to communicate to people really that you really have to use the one. You cannot yeah. just use the three, four and five because yeah, all of these trees are fives. When you compare them to all of the rest of the trees in your collection or in, you know, in the region or whatever, that's why they're in the show. But now you have to reset what you're doing and say, okay, the average tree in this room is a three, but wait, 
which one do I actually want to win the best in show? Because that has to be a five. And which ones do I absolutely not want to win because I don't like that tree at all? And that's a one or a two. And that's a one or a two, right. And, and, so and a one or a two is, is, is a really still a really nice tree, even though you're giving it a, a one. Fewer than half of the trees that applied to be in the show got in. So this is a very selective exhibit, and we feel great about the level of quality of the trees in the event. This is more an exercise to figure out how these trees stand among each other. And we're going to be sharing the results. And so that's actually one of the things we've learned uh, from the Artisan's Cup, which is when you provide the raw data to the general public, then that allows more people to participate and provide ways of giving feedback. It's, it's a nice level of transparency to, to, to put it out it there to say, this yeah. is what the, the people thought. Now, why, why just the exhibitors judging? Why not anyone who wants to show up and judge? Hmm. We wanted skin in the game. <laughs> <laughs> and we thought about that and we wanted people. So when we did the bail and bonsai judging, judging, everyone in the club could contribute. And we wanted to make a little bit of a refinement on that where you need that skin in the game. You need to, if you have gone to the effort of getting a tree to the point where it can get into an exhibit like this, then you have earned the ability to participate as an evaluator. And I, and I think we might be aiming even a little bit higher or broader because if we can design a scoring system that not only we can use moving forward, but that actually might become commonly adopted. And so a lot of what we're doing is an iteration on what happened at the artisans cup in a way. Yep. Uh, it was, it was a really inspiring show. It was really interesting to see how Ryan just, you know, designed the scoring and executed the judging and then to analyze all the data afterwards. So all of those things are, something to take as okay these were good things and then what went wrong and how can we fix those things that went wrong or improve on them and so that's another example you asked about what biases we identified one is everyone has their own personal scale and so when we did the sample judging exercises we found that some people's average score was in the low 3.2 range and some people's average scores were in the 4.2 range and what that told us is that some people found all of the trees good they're using a very absolute oriented scoring system as opposed to a more relative system where they use all of the points. And we found a couple different ways to address that bias. And that is by one, priming people for what the scores mean. And so Eric hit it exactly. Threes will be for average quality among the trees in the room. And so by priming people as to how to use the scores, that won't fix the problem, but it'll help. The other is then using the Z-scoring system that Dan introduced um, uh, in the wake of the Artisan's Cup, which can then kind of make equivalent all of the different judges' scores. So if you order award all fours and fives and I award all ones and twos, that we're going to have a fairly equal effect on the overall scoring. So I'm, I'm very honored to be uh, an exhibitor for the show. And so as an exhibitor who's looking forward to judging the exhibit... Um, when I show up, am, am I going to have a scoring criteria, a rubric, or are you going to give me freedom to choose my one to five in that range? You're going to be, it's going to be very pithy guidance. We're going to give you a scorecard and some suggestions as to do that. Whether or not we provide a full rubric, we haven't decided on that yet. We have. Well, how much of a rubric can you provide for a score from one to five? I mean, like you, we're not telling right. people to break it down, but I think there's so many things that that come into play when you're, when you're judging, I mean, when you're judging the medium category, for example, you're going to be judging conifers against deciduous and broadleaf evergreens, which is a whole challenge in and to itself, because how do you decide with 
with trees that have very different quality characteristics, which one is actually, you know, adhering to the highest quality the best when, you know, they're different qualities. Which is what they have to solve at Westminster in our dog shows. And so we have ways of comparing different things with each other. We don't all personally have a lot of experience with doing that. And so that's what's going to be the big learning part. And so one of the last things we're doing is we're going to measure everything related to the scoring so that we have the data to then know, do we need to make any updates next time and make improvements? Time will tell. Yeah, no, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's really fun to be trying a new system. I think it's, you know, it's, it's this, it's a elevated community that's going to be doing the the process. And I think that's going to be fun to see how it pans out. It, it, do you think it's going to be more accurate than if you just bring in three professionals that's a really good question, and we kind of can answer that because we brought in three professionals to be the jury members for this. And if the judging would be remotely like what we would expect or what we saw in the jurying, it's completely hit or miss. It would be very different trees. And we saw that in the Artisans Cup where we had five very qualified judges that came up with uh, some coordination in what they thought deserved recognition and some very disparate choices and so yeah you get more you get more consensus when you have more people participating i I think that the exhibitors are as you would imagine a a pretty diverse but also very well educated in the bonsai realm Mm -hmm. um group of people and if you take 30 people or roughly 30 people and you average out all those scores accounting for you know, things like Z scoring that it is going to be, it's a reflection of, you know, each person's opinion in a way it's a reflection of each person's understanding of the quality factors for a given species or, you know, category of trees and things of that nature. But in the end, I think that the averaging out of across that number of people will kind of remove any biases or deficiencies that might exist in any single person's evaluation. It washes out a ton of biases. And honestly, I'm actually more curious what the exhibitors think should win than I am what a given professional thinks. Because I know that if I ask 10 professionals, I'm going to get at least six or 10 different answers. I'm really curious who the people who made this show, who put in the work, who put in the effort. I'm just curious. I want to hear what they have to say. And I think that's a big part of informing this is let's hear the democratic approach to scoring this thing. You said this was based a little bit off Bay Island bonsai uh-huh. in, in that show. Did you find that in your opinions, did the, the right tree win most of the time? Most of the time by far. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely a few exceptions, but in general, I mean, there's a little bit of a difference in the process in the sense that in the, for most of the years that the BIB Uh, members choice awards happened there was sort of a pre-selection process where uh boone or or you know boone and a couple of other people would go around and sort of pre-evaluate and just pick out the top five say out of each category and then the members were voting just amongst those five i think that's you know so you can argue that that pre-selection process has a big effect on, you know, making sure that the best tree wins in a category. But in, in reality, 
everyone in the room should be able to identify the top five in a given category if they're already if they've already got skin in the game, as Jonas says. And and so I don't think it's that part of the process is really that important. But what it would do is cut down on the number of scores that you have to give, which was the whole point in the BIB. That's right. Uh, scoring we didn't exercise. Have the time. We didn't have time to do, you know, five different evaluations of. Yeah, assigned five trees. scores to 45 yeah. trees. That yeah. was just hard. It was we too could, hard. It was a bad idea. And, and speaking of categories, how'd you go about picking the categories for the show? We um, actually put a lot of effort into that. <laughs> we were back and forth about this for months. In fact, originally we were hoping the community would suggest to us what they thought some novel judging categories would be. Well, I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna like poke at people, I think there were a lot of things that we were hoping that maybe we didn't communicate effectively. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, one of the things that we were really hoping for going back to the, you know, the unusual exhibits was that we would actually get submissions that were, you know, meant to be part of the part of the judging and part of the competition that would be avant-garde that would be not on a table. So having like a unusual award or like a creative alternative award. Display. Alternative. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Within within a six foot by two and a half foot space, which is the default space, is it really the best use of that space to put a folding table with a tablecloth on it and then put like a miniature table on top of that? Or could you get much more creative than that? I was really disappointed that we didn't get any exhibits that included anything other than I'm going to plunk this tree on the table. A tree on a table on a table. I think we had possibly zero alternatives submitted other than tree on table on table. And that was over 200, 250. I don't know what it was. It was and a I, lot of submissions. But, and I want to say we specifically asked for it. And I yeah. and I completely understand why it didn't happen. But you, you do have one though, right? Isn't I, I Maybe I don't want to give too much away, but don't isn't give Michael... Anything away. We're, we're not giving anything away? No, don't give anything away. Okay. Now, there are, it's not that every tree is going to be on the table, but there are no really novel display oriented yeah. things it doesn't mean that every tree is in a standard container or necessarily on a stand but there's a lot of so eric is a good one to talk about this when you look at some of his displays in past exhibits where trees are suspended on wires balanced on glass in custom plexiglass stands like there's none of that really out there kind of stuff i think that aaron at the bonsai northwest museum i'm gonna get the name wrong uh, he's doing a really interesting thing with the lab projects, is it? And those are the kinds of things that I want to see more of in the bonsai world because the the inspiration for me really came from uh, Ikebana shows that I've that I visited and, and looking at Sugetsu uh, Ikebana and just thinking to myself, well, my God, if you can take a really traditional, you know, arrangement of flowers and make it very non-traditional and start putting in really weird things and have it be on the floor rather than on a table and the vase doesn't look anything like what you would think of as a vase then why can't we do this in bonsai and have it be more interesting and not just the traditional sort of evoking of a tokonoma space which is where those six foot by two and a half foot displays come from i mean just branch out yeah well and and it's nice that you're planning on doing the show over and over again because you're giving people the avenue to maybe do that in the future. I will say we're both happy that everyone is focusing on the <laughs> trees for this event. And we're totally okay with people focusing on the trees. That, yeah, that's over, really over time, if people want to branch out in terms of what they're doing display-wise, that's great. 
Um, the fact that we have at least a couple alternative displays going in the room that are like truly off the wall or at least not normal table space, top tabletop space displays, like that's going to be very different. Yeah. And I think the, the important thing to say is that we were in the jurying process. It was the trees that were being evaluated. So you had to get through the jurying process first with the quality of the tree before you would be able to say, okay, this is okay to use in, in a non-traditional exhibit. And I think that non-traditional for, for the jurists might've been a plus. It might've been a minus. It depends on which one I think you, you talk to. Uh, but I just want to be clear that I'm not looking for a half baked tree just because your idea for displaying the tree is a little bit more, a little bit different but you didn't get the tree right. You got to get the tree right first and then you have to take it to the next level. Just like in traditional display where you think, okay, I just spent 10 years working on this tree and now I have a great tree, but uh Oh, I don't have a stand and oops, I didn't grow any accent plants and wait, I don't have a Jita for the accent plant and so on. I mean, it's just a whole nother game on top of the, the game of, of making good bonsai. And what's interesting is we're actually not requiring that people hew to the basic conventions of the top shows around the world. We're not requiring that they do any number of, like for medium trees, we're not requiring three-point stands. If people ask, we'll tell them, yeah, that's a conventional approach, but we're not saying you have to do that. For Shoheen with a whole bunch of trees, we're not requiring a box stand, but if people want to do that, they can. And in fact, even for the large trees, we're not requiring that it's just one tree per display. Um, What we have done is kind of describe based on what trees you put on the table, will tell you what your table qualifies as in terms of judging categories, which I guess was your original question was the judging categories. How did we come up with uh, some size-based and some species-based categories? I think there's some room for debate about how you categorize bonsai. Obviously, size is one of the major ones because large trees, medium trees, and small trees each have different origin points and also very different impacts on you because you know the size of a person versus the size of an object if you look at something that's the size of a hummingbird you think oh that's so cute and when you look at something that's that's you know 12 feet tall and massive you're like oh my that is very powerful and impressive so those those are I want to say that those are just sort of ingrained reactions that people have to different sizes so sizes have to be part of the equation because it's just sort of ingrained in human perception and then well and if you didn't have sizes be a part of it do you think only big trees would show up it's not that we thought only big trees or specific species would show up it's more that we wanted to incentivize people to give us as diverse a show as possible because it's typically i find it less interesting when there's less diversity in the room and that's both that's size style as well as species yeah, diversity of size, diversity of species, and a good mix of conifers and deciduous and broadleaf evergreen, um, I think makes for a better show just because you get more diversity of species. And so it's not just like, oh, there's another juniper, oh, there's another pine, and or oh, there's another maple. I mean, people have their favorites that they want to grow, and but for the show as a whole, even if you grow just junipers, Hopefully you have your best juniper in the show. 
Now, you, you mentioned you were maybe a little disappointed that you didn't get more creative displays. Is there anything else that you would like to see more of in the submissions or the entries for the show? I know. Personally, I just wanted to see as many high-quality trees as possible. For starters, once that's in place, then the rest becomes fun. And so I just wanted to see people saying, oh, I wonder how this is going to do for the show, and then pull the best tree off their shelf and see how it compares. There's always room for improvement, but I think that we're really happy with what we have got coming into the show at this point. If you, if I had to pick one thing that was a little deficient and not the display thing, that would, <laughs> the display thing would certainly be my first, um, more broadleaf evergreens. Yeah. We didn't get, we got, we have a lot more conifers and deciduous than we have broadleaf evergreens. And that's kind of representative of where the community is too. It's, it's something that we lack about. We have conifer people, we have deciduous people. We don't have a lot of intense broadleaf evergreen and to some point, not as many are grown as bonsai. And so that's fair. Like we don't expect, unless you're living in the tropics, we don't expect to have a ton of broadleaf evergreens, but more would have been nice. What's funny is that category around here is going to, we expect oaks, we expect azaleas, and we expect olives, for instance. And we have some of those, but we don't have a ton of those. And so it would have been fun to see. Um, more in that category but the, yeah but uh, i mean there were also very few tropical entries which that's right i don't know whether that's surprising or not i mean if you think about like the the population of work it takes to keep them around here well but just think about the number the population of of ficus bonsai in the u.s like it's got to be off the charts by far the single largest number of bonsai by one species are a golden gate ficus and yet we don't have do we uh, well we don't have more than one if we do uh of that species so i think it it's kind of interesting to to think about those kinds of things i wouldn't expect that we would get a lot of tropical entries but it would have been interesting to see more yeah neat um pivoting from the the criteria now there's there's a best in show. Does the best in show is that separate from the categories or is that part of the categories for the awards? Well, so you have to win your category in order to be eligible for the best in show and I want to say that's the Westminster Dog Show rule or something like that. Um you so I think we had many discussions about not wanting to have the second best conifer in the room win the best conifer award. So it's very likely that the best, so the best conifer in the room hopefully will win the best conifer award. That is important, but the best in show, I think it by default, people just expect it to be a large conifer. Uh, if you have a best in show, pe- people expect that. But just going back to our dog analogy, I think that uh, sometimes it's like, like little terriers that, uh, that win the best in show at the, at the dog shows. I don't see any reason why anything can't win the best in show as long as it's top quality. And we're actually, we really seriously don't know where that's going. No idea. In terms of like best categories is fine because it's a limited number of trees for each, but best in show we're we're going to find out along with everybody else. And I, it becomes a really interesting comparison process where you say, okay, I, as a member of like, so say you're an exhibitor and you're trying to judge, it's a really interesting comparison process because if you really want 
a particular tree to win best in show or a particular display to win best in show, you really need to think about giving that a five and all the category winners, the other category winners a four and then everything else, threes, twos, and ones or whatever, because how else is it going to be distinguished, you know, through your vote than if you, if you do it that way? Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. And I'm not sure that, that there's other ways of doing it. I'm not sure what the right approach is because as soon as you have lower points in other categories and you're diluting your score in that category and you're giving other people more say as to whether or not that tree wins the, the award in that category. And so I do care much more about the category prizes than the overall. And we're until we see the data, it's going to be hard to know whether or not adjustments are even going to be necessary for that. And I would say that we're planning on doing a lot of adjusting between 2022 and 2024, but I'm not sure how much more adjusting we can do with no data. That's right. Now, speaking of the awards, yeah, they will when be are we, announced. Where are we, when are we going to find those out? You're going to find those out at the Saturday evening banquet. And so there's going to be an entire day where everyone gets to attend the exhibit, see all the trees, <laughs> And decide for themselves what they think is the best without any form of bias of uh, seeing a plaque or ribbon on the ground. And so we're going to have this wonderful day where we're all wondering, I wonder how that one did. I wonder how that one did. I think I you almost, and I are going to have to hide in a closet I know, or something I, because I'm just, don't tell me who the winners are. You get to crunch the yeah, numbers. Dan can keep that. I literally, <laughs> Dan, yeah. yeah. Dan can bear that burden. That's or right. We are very seriously considering keeping that envelope sealed until uh, we're, uh, until we get, you know, Richard Gear to read it or Warren Beatty, whoever that was. And hopefully the right envelope will make it in his way. And then we'll find out at the banquet. Yeah, the the banquet's fun. You know, that's that's a really fun thing about the national show. Um, going to the banquet, finding out the the big reveal of, of of what won. It's also fun too because the way that you're doing it, um, every every attendee of the the show has a chance to evaluate for themselves. They could walk through the room and do that one to five process, even if they're not an official exhibitor. They could go through their head, and and that's a great way to appreciate and look at the show. It is. And all of the exhibitors who did score it will be wondering, well, I wonder what everyone else did with that tree. <laughs> and they'll have a whole day to think about their scores. So, I mean, the awards, finding out the awards first and in person is one of the hooks for uh, being at the banquet. The other, the others are, it's, it's a nice space in Oakland. It was uh, pointed out to us by one of the exhibitors, Mike Bustello. And uh, we are selling tickets for the banquet separate from the event. And I would encourage you all to get the ticket sooner rather than later because there is a limit for seating, obviously, as in any restaurant-type space. Um, and I think that it'll be a really fun time. Exactly. It's getting to sit next to the people you know you want to sit next to and getting to meet all those other people that you don't yet know will be the uh, highlights of hanging out at the banquet. Yeah, fun. What 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 other ways can people... Uh, support the show. Um, I, I know you're working pretty hard on a book and that's, that's neat because you don't, if, if you're not even able to make it out to the show, you're able to support it and, and see the trees that way. What, what ways can people, you know, support if, if they're not able to actually be there? So for the people who aren't there, they can obviously pick up a t-shirt or pick up a book or donate directly to the event. Afterwards, we're going to have the pictures of the trees online and we're going to have this fantastic book, as you mentioned, that uh, we've actually been planning for months right now. We actually have a team of multiple graphic designers, a book designer, multiple project managers, and we actually have the bulk of the book roughed out already. Here we are months ahead of the show. 
And so we're actually really excited to be able to produce a record. And we have a fantastic photographer lined up. I am most excited about the photographer. We're I shouldn't very say excited. that because I'm because the, the layout team and the, the book team has been doing a fantastic job for months already. Yeah. And we're not even we're still two months out from the from the it's almost like the book is just sitting there waiting for the photos at this yep. point. And the photographer, uh, I couldn't be happier about about who we managed to rope into this. And so we have uh, very high hopes. And I actually think the book will be produced fairly quickly after the event. I mean, we might have books delivered by January. You know, we'll, we'll see what actually happens. But we, um, depending on our printer's timelines, it shouldn't take too long to get the book. And, and why do you think it's necessary to do a book? It feels good, having worked on a whole lot of shows for decades, it feels good to have a record of what happened. It's by looking at books from anywhere in the world in the past and seeing how the trees change and get better over time. It's what it helps you put your finger on saying, hey, this is where the community is today. This is what we were able to muster. Let's see what we can do next time. And I think if you think about it from an outside perspective, how how many different places would you have to go? How many different people's gardens would you have to manage to get into to see these trees in in person and then still only be seeing them, you know, at a single time. So creating not that displayed record, properly, not prepared for yeah. show, not in their yeah. dinner. So, lives. I mean, back to, like I've said a few times, bonsai are four dimensional objects and it's really sh- at showtime. It's like only the best trees have been put into the show. And each person has spent a lot of extra time thinking about how their tree is presented. And so it's really kind of the pinnacle. And so recording it is really instructive for people who, who managed to record those. I mean, I've learned so much from Kokofu albums. I literally only have three of them. I know some people, some people have full collections, but I only have three. They have very dog-eared pages and I've done all kinds of things with those books from copying stands that I wanted Mm -hmm. to make in my woodworking shop to thinking about, oh, wait, I'm just going to look through that book and see which pots jump out at me or showing students, okay, so usually this type of tree is paired in Japan with this type of pot or anything like that. So these kinds of records, I think, are just completely necessary. They're absolutely invaluable. We said you made a good case for going to the show and looking at the book in that I'd never thought of it this way since all three of us go to a lot of bonsai events all over the world. But think of how many gardens you would need to go to to see this collections of trees at once. That's only going to be available live for two days in November. And that's it. And even if you went to the 45 gardens from which these trees come, they wouldn't be showed at their best. They wouldn't be prepped. The pots wouldn't be clean. They wouldn't be accented. They, or have enough space. It is, Yeah, let alone the space. It'd be cra- jammed on a bench next to the other trees. I'm speaking for myself there, but it, I'd never thought <laughs> of, yeah, that's, that. that's one way of thinking of how precious the show is because it's just such a rare opportunity to be able to see all these. It's really... There's no other format in which this experience can be. Now, I, I know it's a lot of work, a lot of money to put this on. Do you think two days is enough? Oh, we would have loved to have done more. And interestingly, the challenge is less financial, and it's more about the exhibitors taking days off work to bring their trees to the event, vendors freeing up their schedules, especially when it's a side job for them. The largest problem that I've run into over the years is always the participants, not the public's desire and not the expense of it all. 
I'd love to be able to do this for more days. I, I wonder what you want to see though in a longer show because it's, it's interesting to, to think about what actually happens at bonsai shows sometimes, which is that in a two day show, everyone shows up Saturday morning and then by Sunday afternoon, there's nobody there. So, you know, in that question, you sort of indicate that there were more, more opportunities that were missed. Yeah. I think being someone who's hardcore bonsai, when you're there for that whole time you leave and you're exhausted, you're, you're full of, of getting all this aesthetic beauty, but you're exhausted at the end of it. Um, I don't know. I guess it would be more, it's more of a show for the public to get more non bonsai people in the door, but you mean just cycling through more people trying yeah. to get, trying to have more attendance, but it, it it makes the point of uh, how special this is when this we're seeing the best trees, we're seeing them elevated with with all this work. You, there's such a brief window to experience that, and that, that's something we really need to buy tickets and, and cherish. And that, yeah, that's true. That slice of time won't happen again. I you know this for some reason what just popped into my head is that if you go to a Kokofu show. And one of the most amazing things that I've always loved seeing at Kokofu shows is the blooms of ume, Japanese flowering apricot. And some of them will be in bloom the first or second day of the show, and then they'll go around and take all the blooms off uh, after a couple of days, and you won't even get to, you won't even, you know, so the, the tree's still in the show because the show is a week long, but it was actually at its best only one of those days. So yeah. should I have gone every day of the show to catch the peak, you know, flowering for each different ume that was in the show? It's a bunch of ephemeral experiences. And on that note, I found that what's so great about Kokofu is each half of the exhibit is open for almost a week, you know, a good five days. I'll go to the show, take a day off, go somewhere else, then go back to the show a day later. So at no point do I feel desperate like I need to see everything because I know I'll come back. And it makes such a difference as opposed to, oh my goodness, I'm here today. I need to do it all. I want to see the talk, see the demo, shop, and see the trees. I would really encourage people to come to this show for both days um, just so that you can not have to feel like you're rushing around because I think participating in BIB shows has, it was a very interesting experience in the sense that as a participant, as an exhibitor, as a member of the club, you were both setting up the show, breaking down the show, and you were there the whole weekend pretty much, or at least four hours on both days. And some of those days, if you're doing security or whatever you're doing, you're just sort of wandering around talking to people and then looking at trees and you're doing it repeatedly. You're looking at trees repeatedly. And sometimes just like looking at Kokofu albums repeatedly, things jump out at you that maybe didn't initially. Because you're talking to different people, you're focusing on different things. Do you think, do you, do you see different things on Sunday than you see on Saturday at a show? Do, do you ever have revelations that... I, I try to open the curtains on Sunday when nobody's paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> I do, it's funny, I will often do more systematic approaches up front and then I'll just jump all around on subsequent days. Yeah, I'm almost the opposite. I, I I internalize the show, I take it in, and then the next day that's when I break it down in my head. But this will be interesting because now that I'm an, a, a judge, um, I, I have to break it down. <laughs> and then I guess I get to digest it afterwards. That's right, because a lot of us have seen a number of these trees and we know the people who are exhibiting. And so some of us have seen some of these trees, but when we see what they actually look like, all prepped for show, all dolled up, it'll be fun to see what kind of an impression they make live.
And yeah. one, one of the things that we haven't touched on, I don't think at all, you know, in these podcasts is that this is a fall show. That's right. That well, is one of the variables that could swing like the, the judging significantly, because if you have a tree in this show that is fire engine, red maple, when, and another maple that's maybe a little bit better next to it, that's just bare, which one are you going to vote for? It's, it's interesting too, because from, for my crowd from Portland, that's coming down, it's, it's, it's almost a silhouette show. I think it's, I think you're, you, you need to think outside the box a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But it's and, and for being a deciduous guy, I'm not unhappy with it being a silhouette show, but yeah, it, I guess it's, it's going to be something I'm going to have to think about is, do I want to stick this in the greenhouse and try and prolong a little color or do I want to show this? arguably at its best when when all the leaves come off i'm gonna well, have to that's think the about question that. is which is best but you can leave you know you could just take off all the to to quote jay mcdonald you can just take off all the ratty and green leaves and leave just the red ones yeah yeah or just leave a couple like two or three leaves to suggest the season yeah because then you can see every branch and then there's the the idea of allowing leaves to cover the surface of the the pot rather right. than rather than just having moss and a clean surface, or allowing leaves to to just exist on the stand, for example. That's a good point about the leaves on the surface because we're all so adamant about oh you need to cover the surface of the soil with green moss. What's natural and green about moss in November or January shows? Like that's well, a at least silly in pot. California. I'm sure in in Oregon it's probably Oregon, all Oregon. mossy and green <laughs> yeah. half the year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If it's not covered by uh, snow or sleet or mud or whatever depending on the season right right but no that's a good point that the timing that you chose for the show is 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 quite special especially for us uh broadleaf deciduous people it's a chance for us to maybe show off trees when we don't normally get to i mean the national show is in september the artisans cup was in september um there's a lot of spring shows that happen around the country but we don't see too many silhouette or or fall shows and that's that's going to be a fun change up to the, the, the exhibits in the community. Yeah. There were only two options for us. It was going to be fall or, you know, early spring, you know, late winter. And th- that was it. Those are the only two options. I mean, you really want the opportunity in selecting a date for the show. You want people who have deciduous trees to be able to show them bare. And I don't know in the tropics, they figured this out. I guess they just defoliate their <laughs> trees for the show and everybody shows their tree defoliated, but I don't, we don't do that. And I'm not really sure it makes as much sense if you think about the seasonality of things uh, to actually be showing your tree when it's obvious that you've just performed some sort of artificiality, artificial process right, right, on right. it. Um, so yeah, the the timing of the show is really important in the sense that you want the deciduous trees to be able to be shown either in leaf or out. I mean, that's the same thing for early spring. And you want the conifers to not be, you know, I mean, it's, I guess it's more some conifers than others. So in the fall pines, they're set, you know, you've got the buds there, you've got the full set of needles, whatever the result is. And that's not just black pines. It's, you know, all, all pines. And so you're not looking at like a giant candle coming out and you having to scissor it off right before, right before the show or something like that. Just seems to be the best timing. And yeah. we get fruit. Don't forget the fruit. Oh, the fruit. We might end up with a little more fruit than we have colored leaves that time of year. I think for for representing California in fall, the accent plants are kind of a nutty wild card slash I have no Big idea. Big wild card, yeah. We'll see. 
I mean, are you going to show a succulent? Are you going to show brown grass? Are you I, show... I like brown grass in the fall. I, I think okay, it's... but in the fall in California, in November in California, what you're actually seeing, if we've received a rain, would be brown grass with green grass green. coming up at the base. <laughs> It's yeah. usually, luckily, it's, it's a little lily to see green in November, typically. Depends on the year, yeah. Well, it depends on the story you're telling. Yeah. It's true. And we have those variables around here. I mean, we don't really have four seasons in coastal Northern California. It's more like two seasons. Yeah. You know, the other interesting thing about the, the show that you guys have done is, obviously, you both live in this area, but... When we have the U.S. National Show, this is perhaps the most unrepresented area at the National Show. So <laughs> if you're able to come out, if you go to the National Show, that's a great show to be at. But if you're able to come out here, you're probably going to be able to see a lot of trees that don't end up at that show. It feels like a good compliment. And we're planning on doing the show in alternating years from the National so that it's not conflicting and creating you know, problems for vendors or problems for exhibitors who want to do both. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there's not a whole lot of West Coast representation at the National. There's definitely some, and I think maybe more from Portland than from the Bay Area and the rest of California. But it's going to be really interesting to see if we can keep this going, you know, every other year and have it really sort of build momentum, maybe in, you know, the the second iteration that will be even bigger and more impressive yeah neat so if i'm a if i'm someone in a club and i want to help support the show what's what's a way that i can help get the word out help help my my club members uh take notice of this participate all of that well i'll start and then jonas can continue one of the things that we've done is we've made a club and press resource page on the website at pacificbonsaiexpo.com if you look in the footer there's a there's a, a link to it and on that page is a printed home flyer. So you can easily print out on your, your home printer an eight by 10, eight, sorry, eight by eight and a half by 11 uh, piece of paper, a flyer that you can then take to your local garden center or just, you know, pass it out at your club. And that does, you can do that no matter where you are. Uh, and then I think at some point we had a, a real vision that where we wanted to reach out to clubs and I've spent time looking at club contact page listings of club contacts that are all out of date and it, and it just becomes this giant process, but we want to reach out to clubs and say, Hey, you know, buy tickets for your, for your members, encourage your members to come, whether you're in the Bay area and you're passing out tickets as raffle prizes, or you are in the Midwest and you're making a, a group journey all together. I think, yeah, if we tell you just what some other clubs have been doing is some clubs have done exactly what Eric just described. So some people are putting tickets up for raffles. Show, or clubs are putting items in their newsletters. They're inviting us to be speakers or at least having someone stand up and speak about the event. Maybe someone who's traveling from their club to the event. So make sure it shows up in a newsletter. Make sure there's someone talking about it live. Um, buying batches of tickets. We have group tickets available at pretty good discounts on the website. So if you buy a whole bunch or you have special needs, you can actually get a great discount for a whole bunch of tickets. And some clubs have looked into arranging the transportation to the event as well, if they're not too far away. And to the group ticket question, uh, which we've had a couple of times now, if you buy a group of tickets, you will receive a link electronically that allows you to redistribute each one of those individually to different people to their email addresses. And essentially you put in the email address, hit send, and then it sits there until that person actually grabs it. 
So it's almost like physically handing off a, a ticket. That's neat. And, you know, as I'm sitting here looking at Jonas's bonsai library, uh, I, I came to the realization that most bonsai clubs have their own library. And so being able to request that your library right. order the expo book might be a great way to to um, support the show that way. That's right. Especially if you're looking for bonsai that are representative of the West, mostly of the West coast of the United States. And so if you, if your club has an interest in, I think one of the things about the Bay area that's really interesting is that there's a, a a mix of traditional Japanese influence from Japanese immigrants, first, second generation going all the way back to post-World war two. And, and people like myself who had no relationship to anyone of Japanese culture when I was growing up. I mean, I grew up in Boonville, California, way out in the middle of nowhere. I don't think there were, I don't want to say there were none, but there were very few Japanese people. And so that cultural influence, I didn't get it. And what I did get was just a giant dose of nature. And so that bringing together different influences, you see different things when you really start looking at uh, bonsai coming from different cultures and different uh, environments. Yeah, neat. Um, so one other thing I wanted to, to ask you guys about was uh, other things that happen. We all know that you go to a show, you see you see the exhibit, you see the vendors. Are you going to have any extra thing? Are, are there demos, presentations, programs, anything like that at this show? There are. And we can't give you every exact detail because we're still working on it. But we're going to have docent tours and we'll probably have a pretty exciting crew of people leading those. It's not a docent tour as much as we're going to have likely a number of professionals who are going to be able to talk about a handful of their favorite aspects of the show that they want to point out to people. So that's one of the things that we're doing. Yeah. So if you want to get off just following professional bonsai people on Instagram and looking at all their pretty trees and actually get to meet them, I would encourage you to show up both days. There's there's quite a few of them there, right? I mean, even the exhibitors alone, there's what, eight, ten professionals in the show yeah there's more than half a dozen professional exhibitors and we're expecting around closer to a dozen professionals attending the event so there's gonna be a lot of i think between the vendors and the exhibitors there are a lot of professionals there just you know participating and they're going to be around the whole weekend because that's what they have to do in order to to make an exhibit like this happen and so we're gonna you know talk to some of them and see if they can do talks or you know uh, I keep saying docent tours, but it's really a little bit more, like Jonah said, a little bit more than that. That's right. And there will likely be some sort of talk, demo, some presentation, and that's kind of what we're working on right now. But we'll be announcing that along with a full weekend schedule before too long. Yeah. How do people, uh, how do people keep in touch with, with what's going on with the expo as, as the program comes out, as, as the um, pre-orders for the book come out? Where, where do I find that information? Well, I mean, I think we're trying to approach people in a variety of ways. One is podcasts like this. I have a YouTube channel, you know, uh, Bonsify on YouTube. And I sprinkle in announcements. Sometimes you have to watch the entire video to get like a 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but but more seriously, Jonas's, Jonas's blogs go out once a week and he's been doing announcements. There is a Instagram account that you can follow at Pacific Bonsai Expo. And you can follow you know, our respective accounts as well, but most of it will be coming from that account. And then that's probably the easiest spot. Cause it's going to be a, just a lot of yeah. digestible tidbits on that uh, Pacific Bonsai Expo on Instagram. 
and then just check back the website gets updated regularly because we keep we we're adding things as we finish particular aspects of nailing down parts of the show and updating and changing things so it's a it's a good place to just sort of come back to on a regular basis now if if you're coming to the show from out of town are, are there other things in the area that you can see bonsai or or, or non-related yeah, I mean, the venue is a whopping 15, 20 minutes away from the uh, Bonsai Garden at Lake Merritt, which is a fantastic spot to see trees. It's open to the public. And the official hotel that we're uh, recommending that people stay at is in Emeryville, the Hyatt House. And right across the street from that is some really interesting sort of food mall that, what is it called? The Emeryville Public Market. Yeah, so we were just in there the other day checking it out, and it's been redone, and there's... We were testing the food, too. Yeah, it was good. And uh, so, actually, it kind of reminds me of, like, you know, food trucks in Portland kind of thing. Yeah, it's fun. They're not food trucks, but it's the same kind of, like... It's a big warehouse with a whole bunch of restaurants and bars and stuff inside. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's not a stone's throw from the hotel. It's just it's like across. It's it's adjacent to the same parking lot. It's right there. And I mean, you could always go further afield, but I I want you guys to stick around and and yeah. hang out and socialize and uh, go to the banquet and whatnot. But there's obviously there's plenty of things to do in the Bay Area. Neat. Uh, anything else you guys think we should know about the show? Uh, what or, or how, let me also say this: what what are you looking forward to most about it? Well, we were talking about this a couple hours ago. We're all just really curious to see the show. Like, I want to, I want to see the trees on the tables. I want to see what the show looks like. I have to say, one of the big things on my plate, um, well, two major things are like I'm kind of like taking point on making sure that all the backdrops are are really beautiful. <laughs> we, we need to talk about the backdrop. Right. We can't, we can't That's close right. this out without talking about the backdrops That's because right. what the show looks like is, is so hugely it, not important, but it, it makes the show. The backdrops um, have such a large effect on the feeling of the room that I have literally been working on it for months now. And they're all going to be hand. Basically I have a wood shop and I've been hand constructing all of the sort of I don't know, bits and pieces. Structure. Yeah. And, and ordering fabric samples to try to get the right fabric that lets you, it, it sort of, you want the fabric to kind of disappear, but you want it to be supportive and, and interesting, but not loud. I mean, there's just, it's, it's really hard. And so I'm really hoping that that all comes out just perfectly. I mean, I, I was, really inspired by the Salut show. If I said that right and you're in France and want to correct me, please do. Uh, <laughs> um, but they had a beautiful, just these long tables with perfectly smooth black fabric on them and a black backdrop. Now we're not going to go with black and black and black, but there is a lot of natural light in the space. And so we're going to use uh, darker tones in, in the exhibit for the backdrops and the table coverings. And uh, we think it will really show off the trees very nicely. So what, what, what's been your kind of criteria for choosing a backdrop? I mean, cause it, for, it, at first it sounds so simple. Oh, I have a table cover and I have something that to hide the trees. But once you start diving into it, it's like, Oh, I can't just order a backdrop on Amazon. Like these backdrops for bonsai don't exist. I have to manufacture these things. Like what, what, what's been your, your, your list of things that you've been trying to think through? 
Well, I think so. If we go back to like two other examples, one being the BIB shows, which were kind of an oak frame, like a thin oak frame with an off white uh, linen in the in the frame. It was it was nice. It was sort of traditional looking, um, and but pretty understated, pretty you know, just kind of disappearing into the backdrop. Uh, if you contrast that with the Artisan's Cup, where the backdrops were actually semi-transparent, and I think they were wooden slats, mm-hmm. and but the lighting in relation to those backdrops. Uh, was really important. So you weren't really seeing the trees from, you know, the tree that was behind the tree that you're looking at. You're not really seeing it. So those two things are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. And then what I just mentioned about the show in Salu, um, I think there's so many quality factors that you have to make sure you're just trying to, in some sense, you're just trying to make this disappear. In another sense, you're trying to make it supportive. And I've totally lost my train of thought. And this is this literally has been the results of months of work is at some point, how tall are they going to be? How are we going to support them and keep them standing up? How do we ensure that they're opaque so the light doesn't shine through? Yeah. When we have the material itself, we figure how can we make it as smooth as possible? How dark, how light? You know, light has its challenges. Dark has its challenges. We're going to be somewhere in the middle to middle dark range. And then on top of that, then you're looking at the actual hue. What's the color that's going to accompany that? set saturation point and so those and those are just like the broad strokes then there's the engineering aspect to make it and then there's what it, you know and Eric keeps laughing at me my big criteria this whole time has been it needs to be storable yeah so because I, is, is your plan to have these be sustainable to use these in future shows yeah yeah i mean i kind of designed from scratch a system that would break down to sticks and and bits so it's sort of like creating hardware that will hold everything together and then having uh i mean i don't know how to describe it. it's a pretty straightforward design in that with few to no tools people without experience can figure out this goes here that goes there and it just fits itself together and that way it'll make the we figure the less friction that comes up at the construction time the better and, but the the funny thing is that all of the engineering and whatnot that went into it, you will see zero of it. Yeah, it's going to be hidden behind the... Uh... <laughs> so real, real just clean, streamlined. Yep. Yeah. So the idea is just to create a very straight, very clean row of tables with fabric backdrops and yeah. have that be able to just sort of fit into the venue and disappear behind the trees when it needs to, but really separate things, block light where it needs to... Yeah. Yeah, we want you to see the trees. Yeah. Now, the the venue is so cool. How did you decide to lay out the venue? Because you have such an interesting space and you could have gone a number of different ways. What 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 would you choose for the layout and and what were the reasons behind that? The light was the big driver. We actually showed up 12 months to the day before the show to see what the angle of the sun would be. Yeah, and if you've seen the photo of my juniper in the space, that is exactly uh, that was around midday on the same day of the year. Yep. And so we w- we really wanted to know what the light would look like exactly. So it might be overcast and we might have a lot. And then we'll have wonderful diffuse light, which will be right. fantastic. It, 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 we've been in there in, in over, on overcast days and it looks fine. It's not like it doesn't detract from the space. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean. 
So the trade-offs are we get even diffuse light or we get uneven but occasionally glorious light when the sun's going to be there. And so then it might be patchy, cloudy, like that time of year, you know, 50-50 chance it'll be glorious and 50-50 it'll be overcast. You know? is, is the weather predictable in, in November in California? Well, there's a 1% chance that we'll get the largest storm on record. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, we don't really get rain anymore. We're kind of over that whole rain situation these days, and so. Yeah. But we never know. It's a very variable time of year. But I think in 2021, the the majority of the water came from one storm in late October. It was yeah. We had it. It was a small number of big storms. Was most of the precipitation last year. Yeah, and temperatures that time of year. Is it a nice time to be in California? Normally, it'd be you know it's, upper yeah, it's great. yeah upper fifties, lower sixties on average. Yeah, and it's not cold at night really. I mean, maybe yeah. In in the core Bay Area, it'll get down to maybe forty, but more likely. And if it's warm, it could 50. be seventy. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Sounds great. And so when you ask what. We're looking forward to, you know, the trees is the first thing. And because we've been talking about trees all day long, that's the first thing that comes to mind. But the rest is to see the people. I mean, these are where my friends from all over the country and world. Right now we have people coming from, I think, five different countries all together. And uh, people you don't get to see all the time. And we're going to have a lot of time at the venue, at the banquet, at the hotel to hang out. And so super looking forward to seeing everyone that shows up. And I think on the vein of, of meeting people. I mean, Jonas and I are planning to try to fit in a program where we are kind of talking a little bit about like the same kind of conversation we're having now, but also taking questions from the audience and really, uh, meeting people that are, that have come for the show and talking to them. Um, one of the things that having a YouTube channel has done is sort of made people recognize me who I've never met. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I, you know, I want to have time and space for people who want to interact with us to be able to to come in and ask questions. And so that's a part of the programming that's not totally nailed down yet. But yeah, yeah, fun. You know, we've been talking trees all day and I'm I'm really excited to see the trees. But I was just thinking I'm going to be so excited because we have so many new potters uh in the west coast in the in the u.s uh, so many stand makers I'm, I'm really excited to see what the accessories are to the trees too because i think a lot of those are going to be showing up that are always fun to take notice of yeah i'm expecting a bunch of fresh pots and stands in the event i don't are you talking about the the vendor area or are you talking about the exhibit uh, both, but I, I was talking about the exhibit, but the, okay. the vendor area is always, in, it, like Jonas was saying, like the show is a census of where we are at in the community for the trees, but the vendor area is, is very much a census for the marketplace and, and seeing both of those things is going to be, I don't know. It's it's always fascinating that what you learn from showing up to events like this. Well, after expressing my disappointment with not getting more avant-garde displays, it I someone could call call me on it and end up... They're like, yeah, I have my tree and it's in a traditional pot here. And I just didn't tell you what I was going to put in my display. And it's like something completely off the wall. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I likewise, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of the other things, the parts of the show that I haven't seen, obviously seeing the trees in photos is nothing like seeing them in person. And, and that's the reason why people need to, to, to come if, if they're, if it's within their means. Yes. So. Wow. Well, thanks, guys, for sitting down. This has been a, a really great conversation. Um, Pacific Multi Expo, what are the dates? November 12 and 13. And Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Sunday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. 
Great. Well, it's going to be a fun time. I'm sure we'll be podcasting before the event, after the event, maybe even during the event. But uh, And we'll all be there, so you can find any of us at the event. Yeah. If <laughs> we're walking around with have... a mic- microphone, come up and say hi. You'll we'll get on the podcast. like crazy people. Exactly. I don't know if we'll have slept within several weeks of that date, but uh, but we'll be there. Yeah. Well, well, fun. Thank you guys for putting on the event. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and uh, hope to see everybody there. Sounds great. Thanks Thank so much. You. music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at blue dot sessions check them out at www.sessions.blue